0: There's a story of a young boy sitting in the back of math class. And as he was sitting in the back of math class, he was a kind of a kid that enjoyed sports. How many of you guys enjoy sports? You love basketball because tonight it's going down at 5 o'clock, okay? Okay. Stephen Curry better take it home, okay? So um, not only does he love sports, but this kid loves sports being on his bike, roaming around town, going through all the city and, and going home and playing with his, with his um, you know, games and consoles. I mean, he was the typical, energetic, fun boy. And so as he was sitting in the back of math class, he could hear and see what's going on in the math class. He, he loved all academics, but for some reason, this class really did not settle in his spirit well. He just had a struggle, a, a, an issue, so to speak, and, and he had a challenge in this area. He excelled in all other areas, but with math, he just had a difficulty grasping. It was like a foreign language to him. So in the middle of class, it, the teacher that day took an opportunity to make sport of him. In, in other words, to diminish who he was. He just had an off day. And so this kid was sitting in the back of math class going through this equation, and his mind could just not grasp it. And all of a sudden, the teacher turned to him and said, hey, can you help me explain, you know, what the solution of this equation is? So in that moment, he hesitated. He was nervous. His hand started to clam up. His mouth went dry. He started to sweat on his brow, and this young man um, just hesitated in explaining. He had problems putting into words what this math equation was all about. And so this teacher got frustrated with him, and in front of all the students, turned around to him and said, if you want to make it in life, and if you want to do well in life and have a great job, you have to get this stuff down, because if you don't, you won't ever get a job. Now say that to a young kid, a young man in high school, and all of a sudden his heart was tethered to an anchor that sunk to the abyss of his insecurity. So as time went on, this young kid grew up in life, got a job, was consistent, strong work ethic, punching in the clock, punching out, and for the past maybe eight to ten years he was doing the same thing, same job, and later in life he got married, had kids, And he started reflecting on the finances and and his economic status at that point. And he decided in his life, you know what, I have to step into something bigger, something greater. And so as he was contemplating that, all of a sudden, this anxious and nervousness would arise in his heart, in his spirit, and he would get nervous. Why? Because, you know, in every level of, of stretching, in every level of a new job, there is a test that's to be taken. And that test would expose areas of whether how you are in math, how you are in comprehension, some of the things, basic skills. But for some reason, he just had test anxiety. And so he decided one day he was going to test for this new job, and he failed. He went back home, upset, nervous, and he almost decided to himself, I'm never going to do this again. It's just humiliating. But he decided from that point on to test again he failed. He did it again. Tested, he failed again. And then all of a sudden, he pressed through the nerves. He took the test. He tested well and got his job. And his job was an amazing job. It had areas to increase, promotion, somewhere to go in his career. So later on in life, this young kid who is now a man, now a father, now a husband, now has a new job. He decided to take some financial planning courses. And so he got a hold of Dame Ramsey. And all of a sudden, he started increasing his capacity. He started saving his money. He just had a knack for saving money. So he bought not only his first car in cash, but bought his second car. And now he has a nice stash being stowed away for his first home. So not only does he have his wife, his two children, and now the plans of purchasing a new home, now he's actually mentoring other young kids on how to manage their finances. Why? Because he was really good at budgeting. Little did that teacher know years ago that that little insecurity that he set into that young man's life became the actual sharpening sword in this young man's life that now he is on the path of becoming probably the first millionaire in his family. All because of One single statement. And so it brings me to this quote, and I'll quote it to you. It says, great men are forged in fire. It is the privilege of lesser men to light the flame. Stephen Moffat, the war doctor, also known as Doctor Who. So I would like to take this opportunity to welcome to the stage these three young men that I want to kind of drill this illustration into all of you, can I invite Josiah, Tyler, and Kendall to the stage? All of you, would you mind giving them a hand of applause, just for see, even saying yes to this illustration? You see, in every mom and dad's world, when they come together, get married, and the hopes of um, planning a family, the kingdom principle is this: is that when you have a child, when you have a son or a daughter. All of a sudden, you bring home, you know, this little boy. But before I even begin there, can you just think with me? With every father in the house, you don't start off a man. You start off as a young boy. So mom and dad receive their son. They bring him home. They raise him. And they get to know their son being raised in their house. They begin to see The kind of young man that he will become just by observing his personality, just by um, seeing how energetic he is, just by the way he plays outside, by the way he reads his books, whether he's going to be creative or he's going to be good in certain areas. And so it takes the, the wisdom and the heart of a parent, mom and dad, to come alongside and they begin to pour their energy, their efforts, their time into their son. So as their son is growing up before their eyes, you could see how God's image, even in the beginning of creation, how the image of God is bestowed upon the son. And then all of a sudden, that son begins to reflect the creative power of God. And then as Josiah gets to grow up in his parents' house, he becomes like Tyler. And as Tyler is about maybe middle school and graduating into high school, Tyler already has, like every other young man his age, being raised in his parents' home, he gets to grow into his life experiences. Whether good or bad, he begins to distinguish who he he is as a young man. And it's the guidance and the wisdom of mom and dad to guide him and to help navigate life for him. Why? Because they're beginning to hone in on his abilities, hone in on the kind of man he will be. So as a young man, as Tyler, he gets the privilege of growing up and growing up into the kind of man that Kendall is. He's already a young adult. He's already has his mind made up. He already has his personality intact, his identity, and all that he practiced being a young kid, being a middle school in his family's house, now he's beginning to practice his destiny. He's beginning to walk out what he's learned in mom and dad's house. Thank you, young men. You may be seated. You see, with every man that you encounter, you encounter the boy that was raised in his home. You encounter that young kid, all of his experiences, all of his fears, all of his successes. And they become the men and the fathers that they are. And so I want you to write down this first statement. God chooses his men to walk through a process he chooses. God chooses his men to walk through a process he chooses. He'll use absolutely every single experience that that young man has experienced, whether good or bad, whether there were High highs of successes, whether there were traumatic experiences. God will make those experiences work for a man and force them for the good of man. He will not leave you abandoned, young man. Father, he will answer your prayers. Why? Because God will force everything to work to your benefit for those who love him. So as we're looking at this I want you to kind of study with me and walk alongside this kind of historical timeline, this, this tribute to manhood through the life that we can learn from which is through young king David being anointed as king and now sitting in front of his God with all of the news that he's getting ready to be downloaded with. Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 7 verses 8 through 9, 12 through 16 and 18 through 19. If you don't have your Bibles, the scriptures will be right behind me and you could read along with me, okay? And so it says here and I'll explain it to you. It says here, "You must tell my servant David This is what the Lord All-Powerful says. I took you from the pasture in the backwoods, in the fields, from tending the sheep, and I made you a leader of my people Israel. I have been with you everywhere you have gone and have defeated your enemies for you. I will make you as famous as any of the great people on the earth. And when you die and you are buried with your ancestors, I will make you one of your sons. I will make one of your sons to be the next king. And I will set up his kingdom and he will build a house, a church, a temple for me. And I will let his kingdom rule always. I will be his father and he will be my son. And then King David, overwhelmed, he went in and he sat in front of the Lord. And David said, Lord God, who am I? What, my family? Why did you bring me to this point? But even this, it's not enough for you. You just went overboard. You have also made promises about my future family. This is extraordinary, Lord God. Here is King David in shock and in awe, sitting now in front of the presence of the Lord and saying, oh my gosh, How did I get to this point? How did I get here that you would choose me from the other side of the tracks? You had all kinds of capable men, but you chose me. And here I am sitting in front of you. Here I am hearing all of what you will do with my family. It's enough that you placed me as king. It was enough that you chose me, but you decided to bless my kids my grandkids, my great grandkids, I am shocked. I'm overwhelmed. And here, this is what you see, the heart of David going through. He is overwhelmed by the blessing of God. And then he's thinking, God, that you would even put me in the history books for people to study about me. I'm just overwhelmed. And so just like David, let me explain the three phases of king's men. I want you to write this down and women begin to study your men. This is what God does and God ordains. Number one, God chooses a man. God chooses a man. He always chooses his man. And we're going to look at this first Samuel chapter 16 verses 7, 11 and 13. It says here, but the Lord said to Samuel, don't look at how handsome Eliab is. This is David's brother. Or how tall he is because I have not chosen him. God does not see the same way people see. People look at the outside of a person. We look at the requirements of what it looks like to be a king. But the Lord looks at the heart. And then he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? And then he asked Jesse, are these all the sons you have? And Jesse answered, this is David's father. I still have the youngest son. Well, he is out taking care of the sheep out in the field, out in the backwoods, out on yonder. And Samuel said, "We'll send for him. And let me tell you, your brothers, your sons, we will not sit down and eat until David comes. And so when David arrived, Samuel took the container of oil and poured it on Jesse's youngest son to appoint him in front of his brothers. Repeat after me, in front of his brothers. From that day on, the Lord's spirit worked in David, and Samuel then went back to Ramah. And the scriptures doesn't tell you this, but this is what happens afterwards with David. David went back to his sheep. Notice where God was looking. Notice the gaze of God. You see, Samuel went to anoint what he thought was a king. Samuel went with the crews of oil to go and anoint what he perceived, what the Israelites wanted as a king. Because he thought it worked the first time, but it didn't work for them. You see, he, they tried it the Israelites way. You see... King Saul at the time, they chose King Saul because he looked the part. He acted the part. He spoke well, and he had that stature, that demeanor about him. He just looked very presidential, so to speak. But you see, at the end of King Saul's life, he had no heart for God, no integrity, no honor. He looked the part all right, but he didn't act the part. But you see, God was looking in places that... Every other man would overlook, and it was out in the pasture, out in the fields. Some of you clocking in, clocking out. He wasn't looking at the high-rise building. He wasn't looking at the CEO. He wasn't looking at the person in the front of the line, had the abilities, had the really cool hairdo. He wasn't looking at that. He wasn't looking at the pedigree, whether he graduated from Yale or Stanford. He wasn't looking there. You know where he was looking? He was looking out in the pasture, in the field. And here God was looking all around while Samuel instantly looked at David's brothers and they looked the part. They had the fancy hairdos, the fancy clothes. They were in the army. They looked absolutely tall and handsome. But in their hearts, God saw something way beyond that Samuel couldn't see. But you see, with, King, with little David out in, in the fields, just tending sheep, looking after the sheep, David had a lot of time on his hands. He was battling bears and lions and tigers. Just kidding. Um, and so you're, you're beginning to see what God sees. And God was teaching Samuel, this is what I pick and choose as my king. And as we look in the scriptures, we begin to see Samuel begin to take the cruise of oil. And it says that he sat uh, David in front of his brothers and began to pour the oil over David. Now, if you can just get a glimpse of what God was looking at, he bypassed the first brother. Why? He just thought too well, too into himself, too into his looks, he bypassed the second brother because he just thought too, too much of himself. He thought he could talk himself into situations and then talk himself out of situations and God didn't look at that. God didn't anoint that. He even bypassed the third brother. Well, he he seems like a good guy, but he was too much into his status, too much into his pedigree, too much into being with the Joneses, so to speak, and trying to keep up with the Joneses, so to speak. So he bypassed those brothers and went and anointed David, who he didn't even know what he had. He didn't know what was in his mind. He didn't know the potential that he had. And God said, you know what? I'm going to bypass all of them, and I'm going to anoint this kid because he will give me honor. God is the one who chooses his man. God will anoint the guy for the hour. He saw them and he saw David out in the field. And believe me, he's watching you right now. He chose you for your family. He chose you for your son and daughter. He chose you for, his, for the wife that you have right now. He chose you. Don't ever diminish your role. Don't ever diminish where you are. Don't ever diminish, young man, father. Don't ever diminish the calling of God on your life because he is working something for your good. But David, he doesn't know what he has. And the thing is sometimes not thinking too much about yourself can open so many opportunities and doors and that's exactly what David did. Number 2, I want you to write down God develops a worshiper in every man he chooses. God develops a worshiper in every man he chooses. 2 Samuel chapter 6 verses 13 through 15. It says, when the men carrying the ark of the Lord had walked six steps, David sacrificed a bull and a fat calf. And then David began to dance with all of his might before the Lord. He had on a holy linen vest. And David and all of the Israelites shouted with joy and blew the trumpets as they brought the ark of the Lord to the city. It was an incredible time in the life of King David, to actually usher in the presence of the Lord into the city of Jerusalem, the city of David. And here he was with the white linen robe. Dancing with all of his gusto and might, with all of his vigor, with all of his intention, with all of his passion. He was not ashamed to go in front of the armies, in front of the Navy, in front of the Marines to give praise to God. Why? Because that's what who King David was. He had no pretense about him. He loved to worship his God. Why? It was was honed in. It was exercise. It was practice out in the field. Under the shade tree, when he was watching the sheep, he had all kinds of time in his hands. And so, even though David was out in the field, being the only guy in the boy band of his personal choosing, he would begin to strum. His musical instrument, I call it his ancient guitar, so to speak, sitting there, penning words, communicating with God, and begin to sing to him. And he would sing, Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus. Falling in love with Jesus was the best thing I've ever, ever done. But you see, later in life, he got married. He had his first wife, his little hot love. And then he would start writing songs like, Lost without you, can't help myself. How does it feel to know that I love you, baby? And so David, being the instrumentalist that he was, he would begin to sing these songs, and he would use music and begin to shape the words behind his intention. And later on in life, when all of a sudden he was in the castle, And King Saul was throwing javelins and arrows at him. Why? Because he hated David. He knew he was out of the kingdom of God. And he wanted to destroy David as soon as possible. So David was on the run. He started hiding in caves. And then all of a sudden, David would find himself in the cave. Alone, betrayed by his spiritual father. That he wanted so desperately for him to love. And then he began to sing songs like. Unbreak my heart. Say you love me again. And later down in life. King David would find himself. He messed up. With a woman called Bathsheba. Frustrated at himself couldn't experience the presence of God anywhere. And then all of a sudden he would pen these songs and would use the words to communicate to God. When can I see you again? When can my heart beat again? You see, it's through the words that God was moved in his heart to come close to his son, which was King David. And David would find these opportunities to communicate to his God. It wasn't the fact that you have to have a great voice to be a worshiper. It, It wasn't the fact that you had to play an instrument to be a worshiper. You see, David, even though he was an excellent communicator and singer and a writer of songs, You see, he used those words and God looked at the heart behind those words. And that's when God would draw near to David and David would draw near to God. There was an instant access. And for many of us, when was the last time you spoke with your creator? When was the last time you even raised your hands in worship and unabandoned, unashamed, begin to communicate with the creator of the universe where you are in life right now? You see, God always intended for us to follow the pattern of David. And he wants his sons today, the fathers and the generation of today, begin to communicate with his sons and daughters now to communicate back to God. There are many of you that have not even opened your lips, written a word, written a card with the hard intention of even communicating the love of the father to the people around you. And here God is desperately wanting to connect with you. God wants to develop a heart of a worshiper in every man that he chooses. And so point number three, I want you to write this down. God transforms his man into the man he sees. 2 Samuel chapter 8, verses 14 through 15, it says this, The Lord gave David, King David, victory everywhere he went. And David was king over all Israel, and he did what was fair and right for all of his people. You see, in the experience of King David, he was anointed at the age of 16 in front of all his brothers. Did you know by the time he assumed the kingdom of of Israel when he became king? It was at the age of 30. 14 years in struggle, in conflict, on the run from his enemies, fighting wars, running from King Saul. And then here, like 14 years later, he becomes king and he rules for 40 years. You see, those 40 years that he ruled would not have happened without the 14 years that he was on the run. You see, during that time in the desert, God was cutting away the bitterness in his heart. You see, God was cutting away the feelings of lust, the feelings of, of anguish, the feelings of bitterness and hatred, the feelings of unforgiveness. God was dealing with David before he even assumed the throne for 14 years, cutting away every single thing that would be a hindrance to his reign, a hindrance to his kingdom. And so those 40 years that we see him ruling, that's when he received the promise of God saying, you know what, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless your children. I'm going to bless your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, and your inheritance will be so large that you won't even begin to contain it. You see, that's our God, and he's your God. And for every father in this house, whatever you're walking through, Whatever God is dealing with you in your life, he's just cutting away. He's just sharpening. You feel like he hasn't even heard your prayers. But God is cutting away that attitude, that anger issue, that disrespect. Maybe you weren't nice to your spouse. Maybe you weren't nice to your ex-spouse. Maybe for some of you, you just have deep wounds of hurt from, from being a son in your father and mother's home. And I'm here to tell you that God can cut away and remove those things in order for you to be free, untethered to an anchor of of a sea of insecurity. God can do all of those things in a young man's life, in a father's life. And for many of you that are fathers now, older sons, you could see the best days are still yet ahead of you. Fellowship. It was a man being formed in the fire. It was a man being forged in the flame. We always want the easy way, but many of us, we need to understand that everything that's worthwhile in life, it's always uphill. It's going to be effort. It's going to be a little sweat and tears. It's going to take great energy. And just like the quote says... Great men are forged in fire, and it is the privilege of lesser men to light the flame. My prophetic word to you, all of you men of Fellowship Church and all of the men that are guests here today, let's not run away from the fire anymore. Let's not run away from the flame. Many of you have been forged in it, and you can testify to the goodness of God. You're on the other side of that fire, that flame, that pit, whatever that is. But yet there's still a group of you that are in need of staying the course. You keep abandoning the job. You keep abandoning the road. You keep abandoning your mission. You keep um, AWOLing, so to speak. And God doesn't want you to AWOL anymore. He needs for you to be all in because he's not done with you yet. So for the sake of your son's and daughters stay the course for the sake of your wives right now stay the course for the sake of fellowship church and the kingdom of god stay the course thank you for being great sons thank you for being the great men thank you for being a father for those of us who never had one You are my heroes. May you be strengthened as sons and may you raise them well. And you begin to pass on the baton for the next generation. Why? Because that's your promise. You have every right to live the abundant life and don't let the enemy take it away from you. May God be with you. And may you have the most fantastic, amazing exuberant, incredible Father's Day ever. May God bless you on behalf of Fellowship Church.